Before we get into the message tonight, I want to go ahead and take this opportunity, maybe have any prayer requests tonight, any prayer requests? All right. Yes, Faith? Say it again. And she um, did pass away from that shot, correct? Yeah. All right. Anyone else? Yes, Brother Sean. Yes. Okay. Pray for Miss Marla. All right. Anybody else? All right. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, I thank you for the blessing uh, that we have, that we can uh, call upon you, Lord, knowing that you are near and that you hear. Lord, we do ask for these prayer requests tonight. Lord, I think of our missionaries, Lord, as uh, some of them are on the field, some of them are here at home still. Lord, I pray that you, uh, Lord, that you be with them and meet their needs and Lord, I do ask that you would be with uh, these prayer requests that was uh, brought before us tonight with Coach Chris's uh, friend, co-worker, and, uh, Lord, that's going through this hard time dealing with the loss of his, his girlfriend. Lord, I ask that you would just comfort his heart, use Coach Chris as he um, as tries to minister to him. Also, I pray that you be with Gigi as she's having uh, MRI done this uh, tomorrow. Lord, I pray that uh, everything will go well there. Give the doctors wisdom how to take care of the situation. Lord, I pray that you be with Miss Marla and the, uh, uh, her upcoming uh, surgery. Lord, I pray that you would just meet the needs there according to your will. Lord, we ask that you would just uh, be with our services tonight. Lord, for, pray for those that were unable to be here tonight. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, give them what they need to get through the week. And Lord, pray that you just uh, just guide and direct in our lives. Thank you for all that you do. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, uh, before we get started in the message tonight, I wanted to start off by uh, publicly apologizing for something that I said Sunday evening. Um, uh, Sunday evening, I said that Satan rejoices over uh, a child born out of wedlock. And now, let me explain some what I was trying to say there. Uh, what I meant to say is that Satan rejoices when people get caught up in sin, such as adultery and fornication and things such as that. Now, that baby, that child, is not sin. That's a miracle from God. It's a blessing from God. I just want us all to be on the same page and understand that. And uh, uh, don't want any confusion there. The, the child is not a curse or anything like that. Uh, I got thinking about uh, what was said, and I uh, didn't want that to be conveyed uh, improperly. So uh, I wanted to start off with that tonight. 
And uh, let's get into the message. We're going to continue our study on uh, the God of impossible situations. I don't know about you, but uh, uh, this has encouraged me because I have impossible situations in my life. I have times when I, I know I can't, but I know that God can. I know that I serve a God that is, that is able. And uh, uh, tonight we're going to continue that. We're going to be in the book of Mark, the book of Mark, chapter number 5. In this chapter, there's a lot in this chapter. There's a lot of impossibilities in this chapter. Uh, we, read about, we read about the storm. We read about uh, some other things in there. But the one we're going to focus on is a demon-possessed man here. And this man is in a desperate situation. He's unable to help himself. And uh, everyone around him is powerless in their attempts to help him as well. And um, this, again, is an impossible situation from our perspective. When we think about it, this man is demon-possessed. There's no hope, no, uh, no help for him. Um, and so, uh, yet Jesus proved yet once again that he's the master of any impossible uh, situation that we face. And I, wanna, I want to see the Lord do something that no one else could do. You know, a lot of times we say, well, I can do this, I can do that. But this is a, a situation where no one everybody else tried to help him, but they could not. They had no help for him. And Christ comes along and lets, sets the captive free. And I want you to see him change a life. I want you to see him save a soul right here in front of our eyes. And I want to see his divine sovereign power on display right here in Mark chapter number 5. I want to see how Jesus handles this impossible case. Everyone around this maniac has done everything they could to help him, but they could not do anything uh, to reach him. He lived his life in isolation, desperation, and, and devastation. When Jesus Christ walked into the situation, he changed his life forever. And as we watch the Lord work in this impossible case, we need to keep in mind that, uh, that he can move in our impossible cases as well. There's nothing that is too big for our God. Uh, he can break the chains that bind us, and He can set us free just the same. Uh, I would like to, uh, for us to examine, this is what I've titled it, The Impossible Sanity of the Miserable Maniac. The Impossible Sanity of the Miserable Maniac. Now notice with me, we'll uh, begin again with a word of prayer after we read a few verses here in Mark chapter number 5, verse 1. The Bible says, And they came over uh, unto the other side of the sea, into the uh, country of the Gadarenes. And when he was over, uh, he came out of the ship. Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and chains had been uh, plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken into pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, again, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for uh, just your word of, the word of God showing us how powerful you are and how you can, uh, even when we think that, that it's impossible, we know that you are able. Lord, I pray that you show us some things tonight. Lord, help us to uh, be better servants for you and be encouraged tonight. We love you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. I want you to notice three thoughts with me tonight. I want you to notice first, notice this immoral sinner. Now, we all probably can name or we think of some people that are, uh, would fit in this category that we would probably put, say, uh, this person, this man, this lady, this, this boy, this girl, they're, they're, there's no way they're ever going to be saved. Now, we may not come out and say that publicly. We may not say that, but in our minds, we're thinking there's no way. There's, that guy's a lost cause. They're immoral. Uh, they're wicked. They're, they're just, there's just uh, nothing that can happen. But I want you to notice here in verse 2, it shows this man's problem. The Bible says, And he, uh, when he was come out of the ship, immediately there, ran, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. This man had an unclean spirit, so he was demon-possessed. Satan had firmly uh, had him uh, held firmly in his grasp, and and uh, the devil's his master, and this this man is in a state of absolute helplessness. There's nothing he can do. We're told that he was he has an unclean spirit. Then we find out that he's not just at the home for one unclean spirit, but the Bible says uh, there that a legion. Uh, for we are many, the Bible says uh, there in verse 9, and a legion could be anywhere from 2,000 to 6,000 uh, 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 demons here. And then in verse 16 we're to- or 13, we're told that when the demons were forced to leave this man's body, they entered into a herd of swine, about 2,000, the Bible says, and they, they ran this poor pitiful man was totally under the control of the devil. By the way, demon possession is real. I want you to understand that. Demon possession is real. But let me also say this. A Christian cannot be demon possessed. They can be demon oppressed. Now there's a difference there. They can be, uh, when you're uh, a Christian, because when you got saved, you were bought with a price. You belong to God. Uh, the devil no longer has hold on you. Now he can, he can uh, oppress you. He can, he can cause your life to be miserable and things such as that. But you cannot be demon possessed if you are a Christian. All right? So um, there are many in this world today who are demon possessed. There are many that are demon uh, oppressed, and I, I would just remind you that this man's situation is no different than that of every lost soul in the world today. Uh, this man was uh, in pitiful shape, and so are the lost. They are in a state of defilement. So verse 2 shows his problem, but verse 3 and 4 shows his pain. There in verse 3 and 4 says, show, uh, Who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Two words describe this man's condition, and those two words are tombs and chains. Those words reveal the truth that this man had his dwellings among the dead. I mean, no one else wanted to have anything to do with him. The demons that controlled him drove him away from the living, and he spent his life in a cemetery. We're told in verse 4 that the people around him tried their best to restrain him. Uh, they couldn't catch him uh, and bind him. They catch him. They caught him and uh, tried to bind him with fe- uh, fetters and chains. The fetters would be those that attached to his feet, and the chains would be what uh, uh, bound his hands and, to, and, and his torso. And the Bible says that he ripped those into pieces. 
I mean, it was no, it had no bearing on him. He was able to just, he, he had, was able to just tear them apart. When we look at a poor soul, it isn't hard for us to make the leap from the condition that this man is in and the condition of the lost around us. They're trapped in the same state of pitiful, pitiful depravity. The sin that possesses the heart of a lost sinner drives him to spend his days and waste his time and his years with the dead. Those who are lost in sin have no desire to be around the living. And what I'm talking about is the living is those that are saved in Christ. The lost hates the things that pertain to life. The lost hates those things. They hate the things that pertain to light. Uh, Why? The Bible says because their deeds are evil. They hate everything that has to do with God and His work and uh, in the world. They shun the light and the things of God, preferring rather to live their lives in darkness rather than in light. Man promotes his pills, his potions, his psychology uh, to to be the answer to man's dilemma. The problem with man's efforts is... Uh, uh, to cure the man's depravity is that it only cures the symptoms. It only helps out the symptoms. Man's efforts can never treat the cause of man's condition. If a man's going to ever get the help he needs, he must get the help from the Lord. The lost act like they, uh, they do and they live like they do and they talk like they do because they're lost. They're in that condition because they hate light. Lost people choose sin over the Savior because they are evil and they totally given over to the pursuit of evil. You are of your father the devil. You say, oh no, pastor, that's, that's being awful mean and, and talking awful bad about people. That is because that is the truth. You think about it. Uh, you say, well, I was never that bad. Yes, if you were guilty in one area, you're guilty of all. We're all, hey, without Christ, we're all just as wicked as these folks, uh, this man here in, that we're talking about. Let me add that a professing believer needs to examine his or her own heart when they begin to desire the works of darkness. You need to look at your spiritual condition when you reason, uh, look for reasons to avoid spiritual light. When you can't sit through a preaching service, you can't. That's that's a spiritual problem. When you you find a reason to avoid the house of God, that's a spiritual problem. When uh, um, when you find yourself longing for ways of the world, you have a spiritual problem. You're beginning to revert back to the ways of death and darkness. That is a very dangerous place to be in. But then verse 5 shows his powerlessness. Look there, it says, And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. He, he had no power over himself. Can you imagine the terror this man caused He's living among the tombs. He's naked. He's running like a wild animal day and night. He cuts himself with rocks. His body's covered with blood and scars. He's filthy. He's stinky. I mean, he's, he's terrified into all, all those that come even close to him, and they can hear his screams and his yells of torment. We don't, we don't know why he did the things that he did. 
but his actions reveal that he's in desperate situation that he had no control over himself. Whether you are lost or bound in your sins or whether you are saved and out of God's will, there's only one cure for your condition. You don't need a pill. You don't need a psychologist. You don't need a priest. You don't need a 12-step program. What you need is Jesus. He's the antidote for the, the, the poison of sin. He's the cure for your condition. He is the solution to your problem. This is man's situation. Uh, this man's situation is desperate, it's wicked, and it's horrible. Yet, there are people in this room, in this city, in our county, in our country that are defiled, depraved, and desperate just like this man. There are millions in, the, in this world who are just like this poor man. They may not be as wild and as wicked as this man, but they still need help. They still need his help. They need someone far more powerful than they are to set them free. There's only one who can and only one who's able to, and his name is Jesus. Then I want you to notice verses 6 through 13. Notice the incredible Savior. Verse 6, verse six shows his compassion. Let's read it. It says, But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Everyone in the region feared this man. Think about this. Everyone in the region, they feared this man. Uh, they fled in terror when he came near. Uh, they told their children, they warned him, they said, Hey, don't go near that man, he's crazy. Everyone avoided him, everyone except for Jesus. Jesus made a special trip across the sea uh, over and braved the storm we read about earlier in the story uh, simply because he wanted to deliver this man from the grip of Satan. Everyone else feared, avoided, and despised this man. Jesus had compassion on him. Jesus cared about the condition he was in. And Jesus was moved to do something about it. And this man, think about this, this man wasn't even a Jew. He was a Gentile. And still the Lord reached out to him. Thank God for the boundless love and endless compassion of our Savior. Praise the Lord, there's no impossible cases with Him. We see people and sometimes we think, for that of some, that they are so lost. They're a lost cause. We may wonder if they can ever or they can or ever will be saved. I can't tell you whether they will or not. But I can look across this room and I can look in the mirror and I can see one that people prayed for. Maybe people wrote off as a lost condition. I don't know about you, but I know my life before I got saved. People look at my life and say, that boy, there's no hope for that kid. I mean, look at the way he was raised. There's no, there's no uh, spirituality about him. But I'm thankful that God had compassion on me. And he made a difference in my life. He loved me enough to come and set me free. No one is beyond the compassionate touch of our master. So let me say, first of all, don't give up on that lost loved one, that lost friend, that lost family member. You might think, well, I just, I, I don't, there's, they're a lost cause, Pastor. You don't know what, how, they don't want to have anything to do with Christ. Don't give up because 
Aren't you thankful that God didn't give up on you? See, there's a compassionate Savior waiting to set you free. Jesus sees people with a different set of eyes than what we see people. You know, we see people as drunk or druggy. God sees them as a pastor or a deacon. We might see them as a harlot or a streetwalker, but God sees them as a teacher or Sunday school teacher or, or a, a choir member. That's how lives are changed. When they come to Jesus, he will take what you give him and he will give you something much more precious in return. It's amazing what Jesus can do with a life that is placed in his hands. That is the power of the new birth. All things are new. Verse 6 through 13 shows the confrontation here. Um, Verse 6, it says, But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For me, for he said unto him, Come out from the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he said, saying, uh, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not uh, send them away out of the country. Now, uh, and he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh into the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may uh, uh, enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered in the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place in the sea. Uh, They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. This man who ran from everyone else, ran to the Lord and fell down at his feet. The demons that drove this man away from all humans, all everyone else in relationship, drove him to the feet of Jesus. Now why they did that, some, there's a lot of speculation here. But I don't believe they fell down before Jesus to worship him as Lord. Uh, they fell down in acknowledgement of his deity, that he was the Lord of Lords. Jesus confronts the demons, ordering them to release the captive. The demons acknowledge the deity of, uh, of, and the authority of Jesus, and they beg him not to torment him, them, and they beg him to be sent, uh, and I believe this is begging them not to be sent into hell. And the demons that then request that they be, uh, might be allowed to enter into the herd of swine that was feeding nearby. Jesus gives them permission uh, to leave the body of the man and enter in the swine. When they do, the swine commit, uh, cannot tolerate the demon and they kill themselves. One preacher I heard said this was the first case of suicide. I laughed. I thought it was funny. But this is a strange passage, but it teaches some important truths. It teaches us that all spirits are subject to the Lord's, the, the Lord's authority. They recognize his position and his authority. They know they must have his permission to do what they do. Jesus is the master even over the demons. That gives us hope today. It often looks like the devil is walking off in the victory. But can I remind you to read Revelation chapter 20 verse 10? That verse tells us that Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. That verse tells us that the war is over and Jesus is the victor. 
This passage also teaches us that man is the most depraved creature that has ever existed. This man was, was able to live with thousands of demons. Think about that. This just illustrates the human capacity for evil. But then verse 13 shows his command. Every human effort had failed to deliver this poor man. Everything it failed from bondage. Everything had, had been tried to help this man to regain, uh, regain the grip that he had on life. And sanity, but it had been proven useless. But one word from Jesus, one word, and the man was free. That is the glory of God's salvation. Man can try his religious works, but they will all fail to save. Man can try psychology, their shenanigans, and, but they will never convert a sinner's heart. Man can try pills, pour, uh, potions, they can try programs and practices, but they will never save a single soul from the pit of hell. There's only one solution to the problem of man's sin, and that his name is Jesus. There's only one hope for the fallen soul, and his name is Jesus. There's only one hope for those trapped in the life of sin, and his name is Jesus. Now think about this. One word from him, and death is swallowed up. One word from him, and darkness is driven away by the light. One word from him, and Satan loses his grip on the lost soul. One word from him, and sin loses its power to control that sinner. One word from him, and the captive is set free. One word from him, and sin is forgiven forever. One word from him, and a life is completely changed. One word from him, and the son of Adam becomes a child of God. One word from him, and the sinner is saved. Then I want you to notice the final thing. Notice in verse 14 through 20, notice the improbable salvation. Verse 14, let's read it. It says, And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and the country. And uh, they went out to see what it was that was done. And they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion, sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told him how it befell uh, to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish it in Decapolis, how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. This shows that Jesus changed this man. It wasn't, him, it wasn't anything this man could do. It was all what Jesus did. When the pigs ran down the mountain and killed themselves, the servants who tended the herd 
went down and told their, their masters what had happened. The townsfolk came to see them for themselves. And when they arrived, they, they heard all the details and they could, not, they, they could see the evidence of the changed man, how this man had changed. Right before their eyes, they see it. Verse 15 shows us Jesus was the one that changed him. He is no longer running about crying and, and cutting himself. Now he's calm, he's clothed, he's sitting in his right mind. Uh, what a change that Christ makes in our life. That's what the Lord does. You cannot meet Jesus and remain the same. I marvel about these professions of faith and when Jesus saves someone from their sins and they... There's no change. I examined, I would say examine, did you truly get what I got? Because Jesus changed me. Jesus changed me. What we need to notice here is what Jesus does in the heart of man is always worked out on the outside of man. Think about that. What he does on the inside always works its way out to the outside of man. He was clothed and in his right mind. Verse 15 shows that Jesus calmed the man. We're told that he is in his right mind where there was, there's been turmoil and agitation. There's now perfect peace. I, I, I read that word sitting and in his right mind. It, that, just, that word sitting there gives a sense of, of calm and perfect peace. Physically and mentally, he's at peace. Spiritually, he's at peace. What a picture of a total change that salvation brings to the converted sinner. Jesus literally gives everyone, he saves a brand new life. Jesus changed him from the inside out. Jesus started with the man's real problem. A bad heart is, a, is the lost sinner's real problem. The sin... The sinner's commit isn't the root of his problem. His sin isn't the, is the outworking or the fruit of his problem. The sin the sinner commits is merely the outward manifestation of a wicked heart. We sin because our hearts are wicked. Verse 17 and 18 shows this man was committed. The people of the region were afraid of Jesus. They were angry. They were angry at him for what he had done. Why were they angry? I don't know if it was because all the swine had drowned in the... Uh, that's what I think. Maybe the price of bacon went up. I don't know. They're, that's why they're mad. They're mad because it hurt their own pocketbooks. Is that what happens to us? When it starts costing us something, when it starts costing us something, that's when we say, um, I'll go so far with you, Lord, but I don't want to go all the way. I don't want to have to give my tithe. I don't want to have to, I don't want to, have to do this. Lord, I don't want to have to go the extra mile when it's going to cost me to have to do something. I don't know about that. For these people, all the spiritual, all the spiritual power was simply too much for them to handle. They might have been able to handle a little of preaching, but when Jesus started get, changing lives and costing them money, they wanted no part of him. So they drove him away. There are multitudes like that around today. 
Just give them a little Sunday morning service and they're satisfied. A few might be back for Sunday night or Wednesday night, but don't ask them to do anything extra. Don't ask them to give or witness or pray or come to revival or anything like that. When the Lord wants something more, they rebel and they push away from Him. When you come to a place in your life where you are satisfied, you have a problem. When you refuse to give Jesus a little more because it will interfere with your, your life, your routine, you have a problem. Most folks want just enough Jesus to make them feel good and to keep them out of hell. Jesus isn't a good luck charm. He's life-changing, eternity-altering Savior. He wants more than just a few hours a week. He wants everything you have and everything you are to be laid on the altar of sacrifice. We had better be careful how we treat the Lord. He might just give us what we want. When we teach our children that other things in life are more important than worship the things of God, might be careful because one day it's going to come back and haunt us. When we tell the Lord by our actions that we are satisfied and that we do not want any more, don't be surprised when he takes away that which what we already have. If we honor him, he will bless us. If we treat him like we can make it without him, that may just be what he gives us. And the townspeople wanted Jesus to leave. The man who just been saved wanted to be with Jesus. That's what salvation will do for you. It will change you. When you get saved, your heart is right with the Lord. You will love Him. You'll want to be in His house. You'll want to read His Word. You'll want to be around His people. Wherever Jesus is, that's where you want to be as also. And verse 19 and 20 shows He was commissioned for Jesus. Jesus refused the man's request to allow Him to go with Him. And can you imagine? I think... I. I think that if any of us in here that's been saved, Jesus is the one that saved us. He's the one that saved us. But to personally be there at the feet of Jesus, we'd say, Lord, let me go with you. Wherever you go, Lord, let me go with you. But Jesus says, no, you can't come where I am. I want you to go and publish it to your friends and your family all over Decapolis. I want you to publish it to everyone you know. Tell everyone what, how Jesus, what great things he's done for you and how he had compassion on you. Can I tell you that's exactly what Jesus has done for every one of us. Jesus, you saved me. Let me come to you. No, you can't come to me. You can't come with me. But what you can do is you can go and you can tell others. You can tell your family. You can tell your friends. You can tell your co-workers. You can tell your city. You can tell everyone around how good God is. And publish it everywhere you go. Can you picture this in your mind, how this scene must have been played out?
In closing tonight, Jesus easily takes care of every impossible task that we ever come across. He can do the same in your life, in my life, in anyone's life. He's the master of the impossible. Without him, there's nothing impossible. Or with him, there's nothing impossible. There's only powerful solutions. What is your spiritual condition today? Can you remember the day when the Lord of glory came to you and radically changed your life? If he has, you need to be sure to thank him for it. If he hasn't, you need to be saved. If he's calling you, I invite you to come to him. Do it today. You'll never regret it. Are you lost in the grip of sin today? Jesus can set you free. Are you out of God's will today? And trapped in pride and bitterness? Jesus can set you free. Do you need a touch from him? Do you need his compassion? Do you need his life-changing power? He's only a prayer of faith away. Come to Jesus. Obey his voice. Harden not your heart. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. As Liz begins to get ready for our invitation song, I just want to ask you to examine your heart. We see the, the change that Christ makes in a miserable maniac. I can say I've seen the changed life of a miserable maniac in my own life. God changed me. I was crippled by sin. God saved me. I encourage you tonight. If God saved you or so, I want you to thank Him for it. Because listen to me, it's only by God's grace that we weren't this. We're not caught up in sin. We're not. It's only by God's grace that we're not. on our way to hell. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, I thank you for how you spoke to my heart during this message, how you just, uh, Lord, show me that, um, Lord, there's nothing impossible. There's no one that has too far gone, Lord, that you can save from the uttermost. Lord, I ask that you would just, Lord, I know there's people in my heart right now, in my heart that I know that I, to be honest, there's, there's times when I think there's no way. God, help me to have faith and trust, confidence knowing that you're able. You're able to save. Lord, I pray that you do a work in our hearts, Lord, help us to be more, more willing to reach out to the lost and encourage us to tell people about your love and your grace. Thank you, for it, Lord, for all that you do. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Liz is going to begin playing softly.
God spoke to your heart, I'm going to encourage you to come. trust him Thank you for being here tonight. Let me just give you uh, just a quick announcement. I want to remind you that Brother Brian McBride will be with us in our services this coming Sunday and Sunday evening. Looking forward to hearing from him. And uh, make sure you invite some folks uh, to come out uh, to hear uh, the, the uh, uh, McBride family. And I'm looking forward to it. All right, let's all stand. We'll close in a word of prayer. Thank you for being here tonight. I'm going to ask Brother Sean, sir, would you please close us with a word of prayer? Sunday.